So, hey, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. So we're going to talk to you about your humble beginnings. <laughs> Nothing humble about me. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. That's why we want to get down to the fact of what the hell happened. Okay. <laughs> John, you want to kick us off? Atlanta, the home of Coca-Cola. So keep your Pepsi drinking asses out of here. It's the Whole World Improv Theater podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director, Chip Powell, and a man who denies he's got gray hair. He says he's going chrome. John Mihalik. Welcome to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast. My name is John Mihalik, and with me is the artistic director, my co-host, Chip Powell. Hey, John. Hey, um, Chip. We are continuing getting to know the current generation. Our current cast of main cast members, which has been very exciting. I haven't recovered from Tanya's interview yet, <laughs> so I'm still in the process of recovery. My therapist said it might take a few weeks. About as long as it's going to take for Grant's arm to heal. Yep. For those of you in podcast land, he has his arm in a sling, but he's got a bitchin' pair of gaming headphones on. And so welcome, Grant Borjowski. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I also appreciate you classifying me as a current member. I feel kind of like a dinosaur for the group here, based yeah. on seniority. You know, I feel like I've, I've outlasted quite a few folks. So yeah, I was going to suggest like some alpha hydroxy or like maybe some eye cream. Right? Well, I do have the fix my appearance slider turned up all the way. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Well, it's working. <laughs> I probably need to have that today because I'm a little, you know, Grant, we're trying to get to all of our main cast members moments of theatrical discovery when you decided that you should take on this business, this industry, and how it came to pass that you ended up at Whole World Theater as a main stage member. So take us all the way back to the first memory you have of being a performer or wanting to perform. So you want to know the exact moment I broke my mother's heart. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, when I was like, I don't want to go into uh, engineering anymore. Uh, I would say that you know, I'd always sort of dabbled, but I was usually kind of a, a shy kid. So as I got older, I started doing choir and plays and things like that. Didn't think I was particularly good, but the people that cast felt the opposite way, mainly because when you're a guy in high school, there's not a ton of people out there that are usually, uh, at least where I went to school, could sing and actually participate. So I actually remember pretty distinctly, I was a senior in college, or this would have been a junior, maybe a junior or senior. I don't really remember. I guess junior. And I was starting to apply to schools and I was staying late working on a solo with my choir teacher. And I was applying to be an engineer, go to computer engineering school, completely different set of schools. And she pretty much talked me out of it and talked me into going into theater and pursuing my BA in theater arts. And that is the day I think my mother was like, well, I thought he was smart. Uh, turns out he's an idiot. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, everything just sort of unfolds from there. I've said many times, on here yeah. about the fact that when I went home and told mom I was going to be a theater major, she said, how are you going to survive on an elective? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that conversation of, well, I just want to be a working actor. I just need enough money. And then you can't plan for inflation. And you're like, enough money when I graduated was 20 grand. That don't cut it. <laughs> no, it does not. 
neither does being a dentist or even a paralegal as I tried paralegal for mom just to make her happy. But I got halfway in there and I was like, these lawyers are fucking actors and I'm just going to do the acting. Okay. You continued in college? Yeah, I went to Point Park University. It's a very small school up in Pittsburgh. It's gotten a little bit bigger. One of those for-profit only sort of private institutions. So I'm in crippling debt the rest of my life. And I remember very distinctly, actually, because like I didn't, there was no real improv in high school. I think maybe I had a Mr. Shannon who was one of my theater teachers. Maybe we did like a week on what improv was, but nothing really extensive. And a lot of my acting teachers were really into incorporating improv. We had three-hour acting classes twice a week. And then we had like the voice and speech classes and stuff. So I remember my second semester, his name was Chance Mulek, and he was my acting teacher. He was also a grad student. So the first hour or hour and a half of class was improv. And the second hour and a half was scripted work. And that's when I was like, I think I like this thing a little bit more than the other thing. And that's when I kind of really got into it and started studying it a little more, taking electives, things like that. Was there a moment that you said, okay, I'm out of college right now. I'm going to go through scripted first, or I'm going to go to improv first. Where did that lead you out of college? I was doing both for sure. What it came down to, again, in Pittsburgh, at the time, there weren't a lot of improv troops. There just really weren't. And at least ones that I knew about, you maybe hear one or two. So I found one that I got on with immediately after college, mainly because the college I went to, they were very strict about how much you did outside of their walls, which is where I did all my work in college. I went outside of their walls and, and went into the, the real world and worked with them. So I was doing both, but I was consistently doing improv pretty much from that point until now. When's the move to Atlanta? Oh, not long after. So I graduated in 2007. And then my now wife and I were starting to date. And I was going to move to Chicago. I was going to go to Improv Olympic. That was my plan was to go to Chicago, go to IO. And she was moving to Atlanta. And I remember we were helping her pack a little bit. It's not like I had a lease or anything. And we're laying on the floor of her apartment in Shady Side. And I look at her, I go, well, what if I move to Atlanta? She's like, might be okay. So I remember, again, going to tell my mom, by the way, not going to Chicago, going to Atlanta. And I went on Facebook and I was like, well, I was going to do this IO thing. So let me see what's available. And it just so happened that if I moved up my weekend for moving to Atlanta by one week, I would be in town for the improv studies program auditions at Whole World Theater. So I remember messaging Eric at the time and being like, hey, I want to audition. He's like, awesome. And I'm like, by the way, I'll probably get lost. I'll likely be late. I'm actually driving in for these auditions on Friday. So I'll be there Saturday morning. And that was it. I drove to Atlanta on a Friday. I left at 6 a.m. and parked outside of what would become the shittiest apartment that I've ever lived in in my entire life on Myrtle. Ooh, Myrtle. It, <laughs> it was rough. It was a bad apartment. It was really bad. And then the next morning, I still had like the turtle shell on top of my car because I didn't have keys to get into the apartment. And my car was completely full. Like I had a TV, which I realized now, like I am shocked I still own any of this stuff. Like I am shocked someone didn't just steal all the stuff out of my car. Yeah. Um, especially the closest and, to the ponds. Yeah. Especially back then. And uh, auditioned for Ed Whole World that Saturday. I think it was like one or two in the afternoon. Take us through the process. What are you doing during this audition? We did scenes. I recall we did two or three. I believe Robbie was in there. And I think you were in the room. You were there. Eric was there. I think Lauren was there. And then I want to say Chris Hayes, who was already in the program, but this would be the first big infusion of ISP people would be with me. And Robbie Glade 
I remember those two being there and I think Robbie was in the room. And I remember just in my head being like, okay, don't get nervous and do stupid stuff. Start in the middle, establish, don't go for jokes, just come in, be a normal human. And I think I did the opposite of all that because I was used to performing in like this basement theater that was a children's theater. And I look around and I'm like, this is a lot more elaborate (laughs) than what I was expecting. And then I'm just going to cut ahead to this because this is, I think, my favorite moment. So I get into the program. I get the call on like Wednesday and I happened to meet Matt Sutter, who was bartending at the theater at the time. I met him out doing certain things in the evenings, out doing some drinking and partying. I remember telling him, hey, I got into the improv studies program. He's like, you get free tickets. Come on Friday, which I realize now I didn't pay my deposit yet. I wasn't supposed to get free tickets, but I was just going to go with what the drunk guy said. And so Jenny and I came to see a show. We sat right behind the camera. We were the last two tickets. And the minute like the lights went down and the drumming and everything's happening and people run out and I'm watching the show and I look over to Jenny and I go, I have severely misrepresented myself. (laughs) If I'm supposed to be able to do this, because it was like, I was like, oh shit, these guys are really, really good. Uh, I feel it a little over my head because I think Chip, you were in the show, Lauren, Eric, um, Damien was in the show, Thomas Elliott. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Oh, I think Ethan may have been in it as well. And I'm like, this is really good. So it was kind of like a, oh shit moment. So you were sitting there having this moment. (laughs) Can I really do this? Yes, you can do this. It turns out you do it extremely well. Do you remember a moment where that switch went on just goes, oh yeah, yeah, I belong here. I got it now. I know for me personally, uh, you know, you're putting in the work and the first year is kind of a blur. I don't think we got our graduation show for nine months. We kept having people come in and come out and we weren't ready. Like, honestly, it's probably better that we didn't get it sooner, that Eric kept pushing out the grad show, kept pushing it out. I think now looking back on it, it's a grad show, but I think it was pretty good for a grad show. I think we did a pretty good job. But I remember very distinctly, it was the second full summer I would have been at Whole World or I I guess the following summer. And I remember it was Wednesday rehearsal. So I was there for five o'clock and then it was 7.15 and Chip, you get on stage, you go, we're putting two frames on the wall. They don't have pictures in them. By the end of the summer, we're going to add two names to it. So it was like an open challenge for the apprentices, like, show us what you got. And I think that for a couple of us, we were like, we're either getting on the wall or we're leaving. Because it was like, if we don't get it at this point, we're probably not going to get it. Well, three of us wound up on the wall, me, Chris, and Andy. And I think we were all the same mindset. Like, this is now or never. Like, we either need to prove that we can do this improve that we can do it consistently or give up. <laughs> At least that's how I felt about it. So I'm glad it came out on the other side. <laughs> it's crazy because we talked to so many people about where you came in. You know, your journey is different because of the ISP program, which, you know, we focused a lot more on. That was when we were like, what happened to all the actors? You know, the people that were hungry for it, like we were back in the early days when we first started, we were just all a bunch of starving actors trying to establish our own theater. So when ISP came along, that was Eric and I saying, you know what, we got to get back to the people that are in the industry. They can't probably afford to take the class here. They still are super talented and we need to integrate them into our main cast, which you're like the shining example of how that works. Then again, we get a few on the way that it doesn't work out because, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of work. 
think people don't realize that we're asking you to be performers. We just got done with a round of scripted work that I'm still working on with some of our main cast members to try and hone their skills in acting as well. So you're coming from a much different place. So when you get thrust into our main cast, what's the adjustment period for you? Well, you know, one of the things that was kind of weird about I wasn't in the 715 rehearsals for all that long before I got bumped up, but I'd been in ISP for quite some time. So it was really like trying to get comfortable with people because it's like there were certain people that I knew really well, you know, certain MCs that I knew really well, but there were other people that I'm like, I don't know if I ever really talked to you. It did help that there were quite a few of us. There were the three of us that came in at the same time. I also remember when we got brought in, we were basically told you're going to work these first couple months. Like you're going to be here a lot. We need to get you up to speed. You're going to be in a lot of shows. Get ready because this is also like a crash course in doing this. So your first couple of shows, you may not be in five scenes, but you're going to be in 10 shows this month so that you can get up to speed and sort of get used to everyone. So it was still really a matter of, and it's kind of how I approached it the whole time. It's like that lunch pail mentality. You know, show up with your lunch pail, eat your vegetables, do your job, don't screw it up and learn from it when you do screw up. Because I'm sure I screwed up plenty, but there were definitely things that helped. You know, like I said, being a part of a group. And also, I think that part of it was I was maybe too young and stupid to realize I should have still been intimidated, <laughs> uh, which I think is a good thing and a bad thing. I love it. You said, okay, was there one stupid thing that sticks out in your mind? Oh, so many stupid things. But the one thing that really sticks out in my mind, and it sticks out because it's like learning how, like learning each individual ensemble members like deal. So John, I don't think you ever performed with him, but Chip, you did. Thomas Elliott had a thing about his face. Didn't touch Thomas Elliott's face. <laughs> I didn't know that. And I remember, I think it was like a, is either emo or buzzer, like some super simple scene. And I totally just like caressed his face on stage. I could just see something be like, he doesn't seem very comfortable with that. So you did I it forget. <laughs> I may have actually, because it may have been emo. And I remember like going backstage and I forget who it was. They were like, never touch Thomas's face. And I was like, oh shit, what did I do? And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But I remember like being petrified in that moment over something so small, but being like, oh great. Now I'm the asshole that goes around touching faces. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the park. Or the vagina monologues. Vagina. Why don't you relive some of your favorite character moments? Because my personal favorite is Vancouver. Um, that's just for me. He's one of my favorites. Talk a little bit about your journey creating now. You're in the main cast. You're building your spot. You're building your character arsenal. What's that journey? Well, I know personally, one of the things I wanted to do was you try to find not only the things that, how do I mesh with other people? For example, Vancouver, when you come in, you look around, you go, at the time, we did a lot of folks that were older than us. Those were our characters. And if you wanted to get into those scenes with those cast members that had really established older folk characters, then you had to bring one to the table yourself. Otherwise, you didn't get to play. So the motivation comes from a lot of what's around me. Like, oh, well, I want to be in these Remember When scenes when we're in a nursing home playing Jenga. 
So in order to do that, I've got to get into this persona, but he can't be too similar to anyone. A big part of it I've always felt was don't do something too close to anyone else to make yourself unique. You never want to just be a carbon copy of anyone. So that always went a lot into it, but also making sure it was close enough to other folks that it made sense. And then just as part of that, I've really did kind of approach it like, what's what do I want my brand to be? What do I want when people think about, oh, this guy is a performer in 10, 15 years? Like, what was he? What was sort of his, his deal? And it's changed a lot over the years, I think, personally. I think when I came in, it was probably more brash over the top, just because I think that's everyone's go-to when they're in their early 20s and doing improv. They think that they have to just be like loud and wacky and risque, and that's about all we can do. But what I really wanted to be was like, I wanted to be smart and supportive. Those are kind of like the big things I wanted to be. So it's like, how do I come across as smart? How do I come across as supportive? Well, smart, uh, I don't know how to come across as smart, except for, you know, be nerdy, which I feel like I'm good at that. But being supportive, being a good scene partner, not taking advantage of people, that was always like my goal. I usually talk to a lot of folks about it and I say, I want to put the power in my partner's hands, even if it doesn't seem like it. Because that's what I want to be remembered as, is a guy that was collaborative and not someone that was a steamroller or really wanted all the focus on himself. I don't know if it always reads that way, but that's kind of where I wanted to come from as a person. I mean, it comes across to me, you know, even the first few times I saw you starting here as an apprentice, I was just like, that guy is the more contemplative one. He always seems to have a thought in his mind before he does something. And I definitely want to, like, I want everything I do to be thoughtful. I want it to be specific and thoughtful, not so much that it's pre-planned. I would tell my students, we're training you to be a person on command and be a really good person in the moment in really weird circumstances with a bunch of strangers watching you. So all I'm trying to do is bring that to life. And I I also understand that there are also times where you you have to do something a little different than that too. You got to let loose and have some fun and be a little more wacky, especially as you build relationships with the other cast members on stage and you figure out what makes them giggle. I think one of my favorite scenes ever was in a 1030 wheel show chip with you. And I forget what game we were playing, but I was your doctor. And I was like, why don't you go ahead and step on the scale? And you were like, no. And that became the entire scene was it just got you so much for some reason that I asked you to step on a scale. You're like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, okay, just go ahead and step on the scale. And (laughs) always one of my favorite moments, just like for whatever reason, it just annoyed you just a little bit. So I couldn't let it go. I don't step on the scale to this day. (laughs) I don't. It's just, it's a number. Who cares? And they make me do it every time I go to the doctor's office and I always turn my head. She's like, don't you mind if I want to dance? I'm like, no, I don't. Nope. Also, it's not like they give you a chance to take your shoes off. They're like, oh, yeah, hop on there. You're wearing jeans and a pea coat and boots. Yeah. Hop on. Yeah. Let's add 20 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Grant. And yeah. meantime, I actually strip down. And the nurses, I know, get annoyed. But I strip as much down as possible. If I could be on that scale in my underwear, I would. You don't want to see the number, but you don't want all the extra clothes to make the number better that you don't want to see. Yes. Well, they write down the number. They write it down. It becomes yeah. part of your chart. At one point, a few years ago, she's like, are you worried about your weight? And I was like, no, because I don't know what it is. <laughs> so no, I'm not worried about it. She's like, well, you lost a lot of weight. I went, well, good. Then it's working. Yeah. <laughs> then that's what I needed to happen. <laughs> that's right. Whole World Improv Theater. Our artistic director, out of all the numbers he knows, he makes room for them by not having his weight is one of the numbers. That's not one of the numbers. It's not worth it. I weighed myself today. Um, Obviously I had surgery. I haven't done anything. I've just basically sat on the couch and ate. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. That happened fast. Um, (laughs) 
that's not great. I'm glad this is just from here up. Hey, you've been listening to people talk about improv, so why not try it yourself? Whole World Improv Theater has in-person improv classes for beginners and seasoned actors alike. No prior experience is needed. Our class program is eight weeks long and full of people just like you who want to learn and have a lot of fun. Just check out our website to learn more or sign up. The website is wholeworldtheater.com. And that's theater with an R-E at the end because we're fancy. What about the musical? You are a great musician. Thank you. You have that ability. I just don't have to play an instrument. Where did the guitar come from? And then when was the first time you actually started using it in a show with you? The guitar came from an incredibly insecure kid that was like, what might girls uh, like find attractive in a male? I was a super late bloomer and I was like, oh, maybe if I learn, because, you know, you watch one movie and you're led astray. You're like, oh, the guys with acoustic guitars, totally hot. Not true. Uh, when I have a son, if I have a son one day, I'm be like, hey, don't play the acoustic guitar at the college party. Don't do what your dad did. Don't do that. Don't roll in with it on your back. No one wants to hear Freebird. No one's interested. Everyone just wants to have fun. Don't be that guy. But I was that guy. So I remember being in late high school, I'd finally lost some weight and I started to learn to play guitar. And I was like, oh, this is going to be my ticket to all sorts of women. It wasn't. Um, it made me an annoying roommate because I was loud all the time. I used it obviously through college. Like people would ask me to do stuff. I did a lot of accompanying for dancers and stuff through college, but I never used the guitar in improvisation until Whole World. The Amish Monkeys, who I was with in Pittsburgh, they had someone who had a guitar already. We didn't do it a lot. We weren't known as a singing sort of group. So when I came to Whole World, I noticed like, oh, hey, look, there's some times they do this whole jam band thing. It used to be a lot more rare. Like you'd see it maybe every couple of months. And I'd start bringing it to rehearsal. I was like, at some point, someone will, will notice that I have an instrument with me. And at some point, they will put two and two together, or there will be an opportunity for us to have a jam and I can't be like, hey, who wants to play this? I've noticed they do this thing. There were a bunch of us that were actually kind of in that boat at the time. A bunch of people would bring their instruments. And when I came into the main cast, it was a very, very musical cast. Singers, musicians, keyboard players, guitarists, people who played the drums in the past, very, very musical cast. So I think that helped be able to utilize that pretty early on. Again, it was point of differentiation too. Like not everyone can do it. So you definitely want to bring that to light. At least I did to show that I'm more than just a one trick pony. I've got something else I can bring and diversify the show with. Well, yeah, this goes all the way back to our interview with Michael Sweeney, founding member of Whole World and how he was incorporating not only music, but he was doing musical impersonations. And we were like, oh my God, this is brilliant. We need to find out the other skills of our other performers and use them to their advantage on stage. So there's not a moment that I'm not going to have a Conley, a Lee, and a Grant, and a Jake, or a Becca in a show. Because that's also one of those genius moments during the show that we watch an audience and then they're like, oh my God, this has to be rehearsed or this has to be planned in some way. And it really isn't. It's an idea. It's a text message from me at four in the afternoon that says, can you bring your guitar? And then we download and then you guys get to warm up musically. And the next thing we know, we're taking a suggestion from the audience and we're turning it into musical magic, which I, it's 
probably one of my favorite things that we do here. Is there a particular song that you remember that was just like, when you walked off stage after that scene, I made a song out of that? Honestly, I, I mainly only have like awesome memories. That's fine. I never think back and be like, man, what the, we had to work with that. I think the ones that stick out, there's probably a couple. I think business in the front, party in the back. That was me, Andy Fleming, and Chris Hayes. And the reason I remember it so much is Chris was using a djembe. He was using Chip's drum, little hand drum from the back. <laughs> and in the middle of it, Andy and I are playing guitar. No one's singing. And Chris puts the drum down and he screams old school. And he starts pounding the ground with his hands instead of using the drum. And I don't know why I thought that was the funniest thing that ever happened. But like the whole audience is singing the hook. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, that's super, super cool. There's some other ones that stick out. I can't remember the names. I remember one was a private event and it was Ethan and Eric and I in a band. And it just sounded very Lenny Kravitz. I forget what it was called. It was probably, when I look back on it, actually the title of it's probably incredibly insensitive. So I'm glad I don't remember it. Um, <laughs> but the song was amazing though. It was really good. It was actually like, you know, Ethan had his electric guitar, I had my acoustic. Eric was playing the drums. And it was just like, it sounded like we were an actual band. I remember specifically whenever I would play this game with Ethan, Ethan is a very straight-laced human being. Very like, oh, uh, we'll just go out there, do a really, you know, do a song. And I'd be like, no, I'm going to make it weird. I'm going to make this as weird as possible just to see how far I could push Ethan. So I went on this very Genesis sticks, sort of walked into the audience, sort of rant, like psychedelic thing in the middle of one of the songs. And he just looked at me walking back up to the stage. He goes, <laughs> and I was like, gotcha. Uh, like, can't just make it normal. I've got to make it a little weird for him. Push him. A lot of students are very intimidated. That's like one of the big classes that just intimidates so many students is when we start talking about the musical games. What guidance did you give to your students about that? Well, I tried to, and I think that anyone who's taught improv knows that you give them an assignment to do over the week, and you've got maybe a 30% success rate of who actually does it. I think most improv instructors kind of oh, hey, make sure that you study this person or, or make a list of things. And you know that half that class is in their car in the parking lot writing something down. <laughs> but I'd always be like, guys, just get used to the sound of your voice. Sing in the car. Like, get used to singing in the car. Get used to singing in the shower. Get used to hearing yourself. Because if you only hear yourself on the stage, you're going to freak out. Like, it's going to be weird. If you never walked, if you were like, oh, I can, but I don't do it. And then you got onto stage. We were like, by the way, we need you to walk across the stage. You, it would be awkward. So everything is a muscle. Everything is habit. Get used to hearing your voice. Get used to making it do stuff. I try not to even use the word singing when I teach those classes. I try to, uh, one of my usual things is open up your mouth hole and let stuff come out. <laughs> <laughs> and I say it as a way to demystify it because it's like, it doesn't need to sound perfect. You don't need to be the best singer, but like let stuff happen. If you don't do it, you're never going to get there. You can't just do it once and hope that it's perfect. Let stuff come out of your mouth hole, good, bad, indifferent, whatever it might be, and just get used to it. Get comfortable beforehand. That's always been my big thing. I don't think there is like a pathway to 100% success though. I think that it's a difficult class to teach. And I think that when you're just doing like one class on it, you're really just dipping your toe and it's a matter of repetition. And, and that's why so much of it falls on the student outside of class to just sing wherever they are and get used to it. This program is supported in part by Georgia Council for the Arts through the appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly. 
Georgia Council for the Arts also receives support from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. And thank goodness for organizations like these, because now more than ever, anybody sick of that phrase? Everyone knows how important the arts are, because where did everybody turn to after two years of health arts? Let's keep recognizing these amazing organizations for what they are and what they do. We love you. So where you started with your first ISP program to where you are right now, sum up for our three listeners. We're going to give them producer <laughs> credits. Yeah, they're going to get produced. Sum up for them the journey. What have you grown in? What have you learned from? What have you taken away from this whole journey? So over the course of, what is it, 13 years that I've been here, something like that, 12 or 13 years, uh, the biggest thing, and this has been my biggest takeaway from, from Whole World, from improv in general, and I'll give you the offstage stuff, then I'll give you the onstage, but I think the offstage stuff really resonates with me currently. I've told multiple people this, I wouldn't actually have the job that I have right now if it weren't for improv. I wouldn't have gone into that interview. I wouldn't have been able to answer the questions the way I did if I didn't have improv in my life. So the biggest thing for me is improv makes you a better person from the ground up. We're teaching you skills that for better or worse, almost get conditioned out of you by society. Putting yourself second, listening to other people, taking a moment to not move too quick and really consider what's happening. Look at what people give you as a gift, assuming the best intent and, and being positive. Like these are things that every little kid is. And then over time, it's sort of, you know, life wears on you and that sort of falls away. And I think that improv is a constant reminder to like, hey, by the way, remember this stuff. Like, remember life is good. Remember that we're creating and we're building and it's a collaborative effort. It's not just me against the world. And it can feel that way a lot of the time. So when you approach your life as it's collaborative and positive and fun and happy, it's so much easier, at least for me, to just get up and go to work and, and be happy because I'm getting a chance. Like each and every day is a chance to improv. Life is improv. Everything that you do from talking to someone on the phone to going to the grocery store, whatever your job is, it's all improv because we don't know what we're going to do from day to day. So practicing makes perfect. As far as the onstage stuff goes, you know, I just remember being such a unaware in my head, I don't want to say self-centered, but self-conscious person. And I was very afraid to be, I don't know, maybe be laughed at instead of laughed with. And I think that improv really helped me get over some of that personally. And, and I think getting over some of that on stage. I mean, we've all seen it with the young improviser where they're not okay with being silly. They get stressed out or they're like, I can't do that. That's silly. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I teach kids uh, math or science or whatever, and they're afraid to be silly. They're afraid to have that childlike look at life, looking around like the little kid's awesome. There's so much potential in everything. And that's like the onstage aspect of it. There's like so much potential in all the people, all the things, everything, every single person that you come into contact with, like there's so much potential. There's so much room for fun and growth. And that's like the onstage thing for me is, is how can I be more like a little kid again and less like a guy who's falling apart in his mid thirties. Like all of us, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> That's the name of the podcast, right? Yeah. Guys in the guys in their 30s. Yeah, 30s. Hosted by guys clearly not in their 30s. Because yes. <laughs> I'm 31. <laughs> We've really enjoyed you being here with us because 
we've been really diving into the past of our main cast members. So what is one word of advice that you would give someone that's trying to make it into our main cast based on your journey? I'm going to steal a quote from my favorite NFL coach, Mr. Mike Tomlin. Do not seek comfort. That's become a big thing for me recently. Another side of it is if you've read Angela Duckworth's Grit, uh, she talks about doing something difficult every day. But I think that Mike Tomlin sums it up. You know, don't seek comfort. You're going to be uncomfortable. It's hard. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But if you just try to stay where you're comfortable, where things are normal and where you don't feel like you're pushing yourself, you're not going to grow. That's everywhere in life. You want a new job? You got to get a little uncomfortable. Where I am now, I got super uncomfortable and put myself out on the line and, and it worked out. Relationships. If you want to improve your relationship, you're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations. If you want to get stronger or faster, it's going to be uncomfortable. That applies to everything. So if you want to grow as an improviser, you've got to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You've got to make yourself vulnerable. You can't be guarded and hidden, especially in front of your ensemble. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be the first person on stage. You've got to be the first person to volunteer for a new game. You've got to show up, you know, availability. You've got to make yourself uncomfortable because you're only uncomfortable for so long. And then you're comfortable with it. Um, anytime you play a new game, it's tough. Work with a new person. It's difficult because you don't know them. Make yourself uncomfortable. Don't seek comfort. Comfort breeds complacency. And complacency is the opposite of growth. That'd be my big thing. Seek that uncomfortable situation. It sounds like you're describing the whole world Christmas party. <laughs> it's only uncomfortable Especially for some with people. my wife. What are we going to bring? Well, actually, Jenny, what are you going to make? <laughs> what karaoke song am I going to sing? Yes. has to be perfectly crafted. <laughs> I've missed the last party, so. Okay. What? I almost missed the last party, too. We should have super late. I missed White Elephant, which means that I got a bottle of bourbon. That sounds like a strategy now. Actually, that another thing, if anyone attends a white elephant giveaway, always buy a gift that you would steal yourself. That's also, this is sage advice because you're going to be in a situation where no one is stealing anything and your gift is open and you want to make the fun happen. The other thing is if everyone approaches it that way, no one gets a BS gift. No one leaves with the plunger or some spam or a creepy doll. Or the doll. Uh, camping toilet that I left with one year. The box of Franzia that nobody would steal from me. Let's talk about the Brita filter. That was just the filter part. It was not even a Brita. And of course, the Ever Classic gifted me a knit cap. And the person that actually donated it to me as my Christmas gift wanted to switch hats. And I never saw my gift again. But he's not it's bitter. I'm not bitter about these. No. I'm not no. bitter about these. I thought I had a bet. I got uh, my first year at theater, I got a plunger and a John Coltrane CD. And I got the John Coltrane CD because they were like, who has the crappiest gift? Oh, Grant does. Grant, there's one extra gift. Open it up. The best of John Coltrane and a plunger. Sorry. <laughs> I re-gifted. The John Coltrane CD went to my father-in-law. He actually likes John Coltrane. The plunger wasn't even a good plunger. It's oh, not even oh. like one of the black ones. It was like one of the like comic ones that doesn't actually unplunge anything. Camping toilet went to the dumpster. Because I was never going to sit on a plastic bucket that had a toilet lid glued to the top of it in the woods. It just wasn't going to happen. You would not have cut it in the army. I would have found you a would, lake. You would not have cut it in the army. Before Ernie. I would Chip. have. <laughs> Chip, you could have put that up on your top porch on the roof. That could have been the rooftop toilet. Toilet, yeah, that would have been quite lovely. And then you could have just tossed it over the 
toss it over the side when you're done. You know, just a little toss well, there. Will you go change the bucket out upstairs? <laughs> I have to go to work now. Bob, change the bucket. Please clean the toilet buckets that's on the porch. <laughs> is, yeah. Bob, is Bob one of our three listeners? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. We can keep. We can keep calling no, Bob. No, uh, he does not. It's better him. if he is. If he's no. here, well, let's let's go in on him. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, let's identify who these people are and let's talk some shit. Let's I know. Yeah. You know, here's my kicker. There was a student. Well, actually, is a company member now. But uh, after the show, was saying, I really want to know all about the history of this place. And I was like, um, it's midnight, and now I'm not going to talk about that. And he's like, Come on, I want to know. I was like, We got a podcast. He's like, What do you mean you have a podcast? I was like, oh, You can be our fourth member. <laughs> it's on Spotify. Log on right now and listen to season one, and you will learn all about the history of the whole world without having to bug me at midnight. Okay. Eat it. Don't forget Alexa. It's the only way my dad listens. It's the only way he knows how to listen to a podcast. If Alexa can't play it, he can't. Alexa will play our podcast. My favorite thing about the history of Whole World, I remember when I got the Whole World, this was not that long after Village, uh, the folks from Village sort of migrated out, right? And I remember it was after a show. I was on crew. We used to smoke out front, not out back. And we were smoking out front. And I forget who it was. They're like, ah. You are so lucky you got here when you did. They're like, man, if you'd have been here like a year ago, we were just partying all the time and it was crazy. We'd be, uh, and I'm like, I am 22 years old. So you were speaking the opposite <laughs> to me. They were like, oh, we'd be up until 9 a.m. I'm like, either you're lying or you don't understand the messaging that you're trying. Uh, no, it's <laughs> called I quit, I banned smoking in the cafe and then things started to turn because walking through the building, I was teaching on Sundays and I would come in in the morning and have to wake people up and ask them to leave so that I could teach. And one of those people was our current bartender. And I don't know what had happened with him for three days, but he did not shower. And he was in a state of undress and it was the worst smell. I mean, I had to spray Lysol spray in there for like an hour before the students came up because it was pretty bad. And so I decided at that point that we were going to stop all the overnight partying at whole world and they could take it to somebody else's house where I didn't have to clean up the next day. Yeah. That's what happened. Well, none of that ever happened while I was there. I think the latest I've ever been at the theater was maybe two o'clock. For the Christmas a, party. Maybe just on a Saturday. Back okay. when those Saturday shows where the second show was two hours long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Leave there pretty late sometimes. Well, hey, it's been great speaking to you. We've had a lot of fun with you. Grant Bojarski is part of our main cast, a wonderful musician and great performer. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. You guys have a great day. And see. Thanks for listening to the Whole World Improv Theater Podcast, a podcast recommended by that fifth dentist who didn't like Trident. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and paramount leader of Improv Party is Chip Powell. Other producer and writer is John Mihalik. Hey, John, I bet in elementary school they, they called you John Mihalik. No? But that's what it was. One of my last names used to be Hershey. And so I got called Hershey squirts all through elementary school. And I thought it was just because like I was little, like a little squirt. And then finally in high school, someone said, no, they've been calling you that because it means diarrhea. Original music by the gentle readers. And our social media maven is Bethany Rowe. 
Please help support by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. We're the kind of friends who will walk your dog when you're out of town, and you'll love having us. Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible. Remember, kids, when a dollar doesn't go to Washington, an accountant gets their wings. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo. And I guess I'll try to plug me. I've got some cool things in the pipeline, I think, relatively, compared to the last year. Quite significant. So I'll let you guys know. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you. I right, thank you for having me, guys. You guys have a great day. And see. <laughs> awesome. All Good right. job, Grant. Thanks, Grant. All right. I'm gonna go take some Percocet.